When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Jody Shaw, who's an employee at Smith College. And in this interview and on her YouTube channel, she speaks about the experience of watching critical social justice ideology or intersectionality or wokeness, specifically the vein of it that goes under the name of anti-racism. She watched anti-racism slowly crop up within that institution and become the central focus to the detriment of other focuses of this so-called institute of higher learning. She tried to speak out about that within the college and then decided to step out publicly and has been trying to grapple with these ideas and the direction of the college since then, since this past fall. We also talk about a new project helmed by the illustrious Helen Pluckrose called Counterweight. Counterweight can be found at counterweightsupport.com. This is a resource center and community for people who are worried about the encroachment of social justice or critical social justice ideology into their institutions, whatever those institutions may be. There's a lot of resources there, so check it out. It's down there in the description. Also down there in the description are links to Jody's work, be it the work that she's doing with regards to critical theories of various sources, but also her music. She's a fantastic musician. I was really blown away and it takes uh, quite a bit to impress me on that front. So do check that out when you get a chance. I think I said everything that I need to say. This conversation, actually, we really get into the issues of social justice, of, of equity and inclusion and diversity. We talk about her story, but we also talk about the larger philosophical principles that are driving this all the way up to the very topmost portion of our federal government now. So that all said, without further ado, here is Jody Shaw. I don't know what to call it, this ideology. Like, I don't, I'm hesitate to call it critical race theory because it's really like everything. It's, it's a whole philosophy of like truth, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like reason, evidence, logic, those things are all kind of out the window because those are all white supremacist. So I'm, I'm really unclear. It's kind of, it's like mass chaos. I don't even know what to call it. Chaos. <laughs> Anti-chaos. <laughs> or it has, it, it has its place. Chaos has its place. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as a creator, you uh, dip your toes into the chaos pools from time to time. Do you not? I was doing research and I got completely distracted by your artistic channel. I was blown away by your music. If that is indeed you. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I think, unless there's another Jody Shaw. Yeah, um, I meant to check out your music, too, because aren't you a musician? Well, you know, I have some uh, sarcastically sad, sad songs. <laughs> but no, nothing produced. Were they, were they sarcastic when you made them, or are they only sarcastic now in retrospect? <laughs> no, they, I mean, uh, you know, if you're going to be a sad, sad boy, you might as well do it with a smirk. Uh, that's what my <laughs> feeling was. I, I, you know, because I was, you know, in my 30s, and I, I like a 
the shattered heart. <laughs> they had to mend, but I wasn't going to go like full 16 year old style, uh, grunge emo stuff, you know, so a little twangy, uh, some tongue in cheek, mocking, uh, both me and the object of my, uh, disaffection. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. What's, what's this? What would that style of music be called? Uh, disaffected, uh, hipster. No, disaffected. <laughs> it be like a female you- or something like that. Emo, yeah, like emo, yeah. Semo uh, or uh, sarcastic <laughs> emo. Schemo. <laughs> I like semo, like steamy semo. <laughs> you know, they're pissing off the wrong people as poets and performers. <laughs> you think? I, I think that has something to do with it. I was thinking about you too. Like um, one of the... I was working on some short stories, I was taking a break from music, and my mentor, an established author, said to me, like, my character in the story had a Hasidic Jew landlord, she lives in Brooklyn, right? This is a a fictional character, and she made a pejorative comment about him, you know, as as a Hasidim. And the the established author told me, oh, you know, you want to make sure you remove that. And I was like, well, why? And she said, because people will think you're anti-Semitic. And I thought, oh, well, that's okay. Like, maybe my character is anti-Semitic. Like, maybe that's that's part of who she is. Like, that's people are, she's not perfect. She's flawed and she's got problems. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. People will think you, the author, <laughs> are anti-Semitic. And that was my first kind of like, bing. Like, and I noticed mm-hmm. in my head when I was like, going into my imagination there started appearing like locked gates i mean like 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 whoa don't go danger want want don't go there like that might be bad and that's when i was like whoa this stuff is serious like it gets in your head and i don't think that's good for if you're an artist like i think you especially need to go behind the locked gates Mm, that's mm -hmm. you know that's kind of your job, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the dip into the chaos, as you would call it. Um, and not be like, oh, that's bad. I can't go there. Like, because that's how we understand who we are. Yeah. So that was a little red. F- Looking back, I'm like, that was one step on my path, I guess. But at the time, I kind of filed it away and I kind of withdrew a little bit from, I thought, making art. I thought, well, what's kind of the point if it's now just kind of all didactic and has a point and the author, the, yeah. the creator is more important than the product now. Like we, hmm. we just automatically like who, who made that? Do they have a right to make that? What color are they? That stuff really bugs the shit out of me. Well, it's not only <laughs> happening with culture production. It's also co- happening with knowledge production. If you look at the way in which academia has gone with regards to who gatekeeps knowledge, the questions and the papers and what kind of knowledge gets produced and reproduced is uh, highly gated uh, in that respect as well. Yeah. I wonder how academics feel about that. Like people who are like faculty who are actually, there's probably one whole breed or one whole group that it's just that's the water they swim in and they just like they don't know anything else like that's the world for them and then there's this probably this older I'm guessing cohort who um, are like 
I just can't imagine what that feels like to have dedicated yourself to being a scholar your whole life and then finding out that none of that ma- none of your work matters. What matters is you. <laughs> <laughs> and right now you're the wrong color. <laughs> yeah, well, or you're thinking wrong the wrong sex. thoughts. I need you're, to- think- you're thinking the wrong thoughts. Yeah, that's that's more apt probably. I um, have been meditating on uh, Joe Biden, uh, president of the United States uh, equity push. And uh, mm-hmm. one of his uh, underlings or maybe even overlings, uh, I don't know the exact uh, distribution of power in this administration. And I think it should be open to question, uh, but I won't push that point. Uh, Susan Rice, uh, she proposed this in a press conference about uh, equity and equity is a subsidiary of this critical race ideology, or it can be. Uh, it has been used as a cover uh, for the uh, promotion of outcome-based programs within academia specifically. That's where it's been rolled out and tested. But there's tons of plausible deniability with this. If you listen to their language, they say, we want to make a government or a country that's uh, equal for all or equitable they, they even correct themselves. They don't want to use the term equity, so we uh, equality. So we know that equity is an equality, but they won't define equity. Uh, but they say it's for all individuals, including they they say this over and over again for everyone, including and then they uh, detail a progressive stack, which gets progressively bigger. It starts with uh, you know the black and indigenous and then and then latino pacific islander and then they get into this weird mushy uh, territory of uh, uh, communities uh, like location communities or rural communities they start talking about land but they they leave out the a specific caucasian uh, signifier but they do kind of make overtures for like appalachia yeah economic status of some Mm -hmm. sort if they if they made it all about economic status that would be one thing. And there's this plausible deniability with what they're saying that they say it's for everybody, including all these things. So it could be technically just a virtue signal, uh, which the Democrats have built a platform of uh, proposing that they are the ones who champion these marginalized communities. That's their mandate to do that, but they have to work within the law. So I was just thinking, this is kind of my point, that I'm of the mind that they will push this thing called equity as far as they possibly can. So standing up to it and criticizing it doesn't mean that we are against uh, lifting up marginalized communities. It's not against uh, necessarily using the power of the government to affect some sort of positive redistribution through education, through programs that boost uh, people's access to different uh, you know, uh, achievements or excellence. Uh, but <clears throat> seeing it operate within academia... I've seen it degrade the quality of academia itself. I've seen a lot of things smuggled in to effect through equity. Uh, that means the empowerment and disempowerment of people based on their race and their gender, not so much their sex anymore. So, but I do know, I'm of, the, I'm of the mind that they will push it as far as they can. They will push it as far as they can. I guess we can I use that as a launching off point. I'm sorry to interrupt. We can use this as a launching off point to okay. see your perspective and how you saw these programs affect your community, your institution that you are involved in and are involved in. But yeah, except for I also am unclear on what equity 
means uh, to Smith College because um, mm. it's ubiquitous, the term. Um, yeah. They use it in communications, all kinds of formal, informal letters and emails. Um, until finally I realized, I don't know what the heck they're talking about. So, <laughs> um, and I've heard, you know, I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about equality of outcome versus um, equality and how equality of outcome is is equity. That's the goal of equity and so on and so forth. And I've off, also wondered why, uh, you know, it's not let it's not based on economic status, but we're, we're basing it on race. When like, is that? Am I to assume then that I, I don't know? It's based on a lot of assumptions and stereotypes. But at Smith, I did ask this past summer, I started asking, I started a, like a, I was on a mission to define equity and inclusion. And um, I wrote to the office of inclusion and equity, or they switch it around. They don't do equity inclusion, they do inclusion and equity. And I had a couple meetings with the vice president or the person who heads that department. And there was no clear definition. At one point it was recommended that I read how to be an anti-racist because um, I think I was also seeking definitions for anti-racist and anti-blackness, which had also popped up over the summer after George mm -hmm. Floyd without any definition for the community. Like they just started using these words. That's now I'm verging off into the language realm, but <laughs> the language realm is, you know, you suddenly you hear all these in the BIPOC, like I was at a workshop and I heard, first heard people using the word BIPOC. And I'm like, what is, I don't even know what that means. You know, like there's no, it's just kind of assumed that it's like a code. Like if you don't know what it means and it's like, oh, I'm afraid to ask because then it's going to seem like I'm not like, you know, I'm like, maybe I'm racist if I don't know what that means, you know, and that, so that started really bothering me. And so I was just seeking definitions and I never got one of equity. Um, I think actually he told me, he did give me a verbal one. He said, I, when I think of equity, when I think of equality, I think of who's invited to the party. When I think of equity, I think of who's dancing. It was something I'm paraphrasing, but so I think I said something like, okay, so is that the Smith College definition of equity? <laughs> and then at that point, he was like, well, you might want to read how to be an anti-racist. Mm. I thought, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. okay. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a lot. Of, I don't know what equity means, and I don't know how I got here, but yeah. it bothers I, me that it's not defined. Yeah, I, I've seen that particular maneuver happen over and over and over again from when I first started asking the question, what does equity mean to you back in 2017 in the early summer when I was, you know, just coming out of the Evergreen State College fiasco, which I witnessed firsthand, and that was one of the words. And so I went around at every opportunity, define equity, define equity, and everybody would start basically, when I think of equity, I think of, and right. then they would make some, they'd reach for some <laughs> metaphor out there. And like, this is not how language works unless you're playing some sort of game with it. And I'm, mm. I'm all for it. Language games, but I, I study language games cause I play language games and I know you guys are playing a language game here. It's like an undercover. They're not saying, okay, well, let's play a language game. Like that would be more honest. They're yeah. saying, no, this isn't a language game. And yet we're going to play a language game. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Right. Well, when I think of equity, and I think that's like very telling because we have gotten very subjective 
with our language and our definitions and of who has power and who has privilege, it's all pretty subjective. And mm-hmm. that's because mm-hmm. objectivity is now kind of out. <laughs> it's, it, they're, not, they're not yet flipping the game board, but they're doing a lot of shaking it just to get the, the, the pieces just wobble on lines. And, and they've done that with every term that really matters to them. Racism has been redefined, whiteness, blackness, all these things have been redefined. And, and it's been going on for years and years, but all of a sudden, uh, it seems like all of a sudden it kind of captured and caught hold. Did you see the increase uh, over time of this kind of language at Smith College and your other... Uh, institutional connections yeah well it seems to me like it's spurts you know um <laughs> when i arrived to smith from you know, we never i never talked about this maybe brooklyn has changed i worked at brooklyn public library which is arguably one of the most diverse organizations on the planet um both in hmm. terms of staff and client and patrons <laughs> And we never, maybe they're doing trainings now, but we didn't never talked sure about are. this stuff. I mean, it was right. just, we were swimming in it. There's no majority of any, but anything. Um, and then I moved up here and started working at Smith and was struck by the, how homogenous it was, um, both politically and even in the area, the skin color. I mean, just everything, just like such conformity. And, um, so I know definitely there was like talk of whiteness and stuff. So that was kind of new to me when I arrived here in this to Smith. Like I was like, oh, there's a really like a lot of consciousness around race up here. What year is this? It was 2017. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after Evergreen, it was, yeah. it was in September, 2017. Yeah. And I hadn't heard of Evergreen at that point, by the way, because of course it wasn't on the news or anything. Um, yeah. Why would it be? <laughs> Yeah, it's not that important. <laughs> it's it's a mere blip. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I noted, I definitely note it was a contrast for me. So part of it was like it was like a huge cultural shift for me to move up here from the city, um, just in terms of like how conscious everyone was about race on campus. I was like, whoa, okay, and and I was kind of in it. I was like, okay, well, I'm not an academic. Maybe you know this is they're right. There's a lot of systemic racism and I have to talk about my whiteness and that's how I can help. And I want to be a good person. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to help and I'm going to participate. And then in 2018, we had an incident on campus. Mm, The incident. The incident. Yes. And then after that incident, the college just went into hyperdrive, um, implementing programs, apologies, programs and committees, uh, new renaming departments and hiring people. Yeah. Um, and so then there was a couple years of that during which I ended up filing a complaint. Um, and then in May, right after I filed my internal complaint in May, 2020, the, the world kind of exploded. Uh, yes. George Floyd was killed. BLM got very active and we we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And a lot of the staff had been told, Hey, you might get furloughed. So everything was like, and at that point, it was like we went from hyperdrive to, I don't know, like 3,000 times faster than the speed of light <laughs> um, in the middle of a global pandemic when they're literally putting furloughing people because of lack of finances and the, the hit to the college um, going remote. They issued a four-page document t- called Toward Racial Justice at Smith. 
And in this document, they outlined, oh boy, yes, the word equity was in there. And they, I mean, now they were like, we're going to have, we're, it was, it's a living document granted, but they, the proposal is to have a mandatory class called thinking through race for students, more mandatory uh, trainings for staff. And then all this stuff about like measuring Pay, making sure people are paid equitably across registers of identity, meaning social identity. And so those kinds of things, I went through that document very carefully and pulled out all the things that applied to my job. Like you're going to be expected to explain this in your performance evaluation and so on and so forth. And I, I wrote a letter to HR and I said, what does all this mean? Because apparently this is now part of my job and I want to make sure that I'm doing it because I don't know what it means. So I, I can't do it unless I know what it means. And I sent three emails. It was like three, a month went by another month and there was no, you know, she said, Oh, I have to check with the office of equity and inclusion or inclusion and equity. And then I talked to inclusion equity. They're like, Oh, well that's an HR issue because it involves your job. You know? So there was a lot of like, and then it, it I started to wonder, did anybody actually read this document? Like I'm, <laughs> it was obviously written by committee. Yeah. Um, there was a they quoted an article in there about um they called it identity tax they they said what members of our community are paying the identity tax and then they cited this 1996 journal article and i went and read it and it was actually in the article it was about a graduate student doing ethnic studies and in the article the 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 author talks about cultural taxation not identity tax so like even that I was like, wow, they even just grossly misquoted this article. Was that on purpose? Do they want to rename it Ide- like identity tax? And what the hell is identity tax, you know? Yes. Um, so that happened during the summer in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it was just like, and, and when they announced or were talking about furloughs, they said, we're prioritizing, we're doing a hiring freeze, we're putting people on furloughs, but we are prioritizing the work of, and I'm paraphrasing, the work of racial justice and all this stuff. So it was like, I really noticed that. I was like, wow, that's interesting. It's interesting. Prioritizing this work, which we haven't really defined and we can't define, but yeah. yeah. So it feels very, a lot of what the college does feels very optical to me. It does feel like you mentioned the Democratic Party. Like it feels, it doesn't feel genuine. And it doesn't feel like whenever we talk about it, even these little trainings, it just never feels authentic to me. Hmm. And as a performer, (laughs) it feels like a bad performance. (laughs) It's performative, but not even like. Even a good a good performance is authentic, right? You feel it, like oof, like the person. It's like bad theater. You know, the, the, uh, there's a a sub note, maybe something to explore in both of our brains uh, collectively or individually. There's uh, two levels of critique from the standpoint of an artist uh, looking at this stuff. Uh, there's the script, and then there's the performance. And if you look at the script, mm-hmm. there's a lot of funkiness going on there. <laughs> and the question is, is it a bad performance? Because nobody can really... Like, the, the script itself is bad, and so people can't really believe in their roles. They themselves don't even know how to method act this stuff. The students know how to method act this stuff. All they have to do is uh, light up some garbage cans and bust some windows and say that they're oppressed. You know, like it's really easy for them. And even the student performance is really bad theater, if you look at my Evergreen stuff. But everybody's a bad actor, and you wonder, well, is that because of the script or what? 
That's interesting analysis. Do we, it feels like it should be more improv, this kind of thing. Like we shouldn't have a script for it. Like well, why do we have a script? <laughs> okay, so let's let's redefine it then. If it is a performance, uh, what's it for? What what is it trying to do? Is it uh, who's the know, audience? Who's the audience? Yeah. And what what uh, if we if we go Greek tragedy? Like what kind of what is the catharsis? Like that they're trying to elicit in order for the communal uh, consciousness to exhaust some of its anxiety or oh, its well, sin, you know? Yeah, we know what that is. The, yeah. the, that's the the whiteness, the, the guilt, the original sin of whiteness and purging it by admitting to it. And yeah, it does feel religious. And, and it only works for a little while, I think, right? Because you're never, you can never really be clean. Mm, yeah. Well, you have to restart the ritual on every level and continually. And they say that if you analyze their language, it, the work never ends. Biden took yes. that and watered it down or whoever it is that uh, put the words on the teleprompter that Biden more or less uh, well performed. Uh, sorry, I keep on digging at Biden. I just don't think he's real. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh but uh, you know, he said uh, in in academia and in the activist circles, and they overlap pretty strongly in that Venn diagram. They say the work is never over. Biden rephrased it: "I can't promise that it will be over soon. Uh, like we we can't do. We're not going to fix this overnight. But there's this open ended. We will never be done with this particular." Uh, thing and that's why if you look at the ways in which the story is constantly recast as a uh, as this state of of affairs has always existed has never gone away has never really changed it went from overt racism and discrimination to implicit and systemic but it's still it's still there so we still have to do this civil rights religion of america and uh well, he's right, though. I mean, if it is implicit, it it, it can't ever be done because it's implicit. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, when it's when it's something you do, as opposed to, some, to someone you are, when it's something you do, then you can fix it. You can stop. You can you can point it out. You can provide yeah. evidence for it, for it or against it. You can you can change a behavior, but you can't change who you are. And um, if it's who you are, then yeah, the work. I don't know. Yeah. I just had a scary thought. Like, <laughs> I guess we could, you know, we could, we could go pretty far with this, actually, couldn't we? Well, there's no end to it. There's no limiting principle and the, there's no uh, feedback loop of it. And, and like, like you said, so what are you allowed? Are you able? Are you willing to talk about the incident at Smith College? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's all public. Okay. Yeah. What was the incident? There's always that. There's always that incident. The that incident, sparks yeah, thing. yeah. It's kind of yeah. There's always an incident, um, <laughs> like evergreen. Um, <laughs> it wasn't qu quite an evergreen, but so there was a, a during this. It's it's a, there's a lot of context to it. Um, mm -hmm. During the summer, students can stay on campus, and some of them are working, and they stay in certain houses. The ho we call the dorms houses, and um, there's certain places where they need to eat. 
And so this one house called Tyler House was, the other houses are used for like outside organizations come in and use them for summer camps and other programs. So this one particular house, Tyler House, was being used for a children's uh, musical camp or something like that. And it was kids age five and up. And they were only eating in the house. They weren't, I don't think they were staying overnight there. Nobody was actually staying in the house. It was open for meals. And so the student was a student, a black student. She was a student worker. She went into the house and um, the, the Tyler house and the dining staff person working there was like, and mind you, all of the staff there had to have background checks because they were working around children. So here's this other adult who's come in who I don't know if she's had a background check. Maybe she has, but um, she came in and the dining staff worker, because by now the dining staff are used to in being the per- the people to enforce the rules, like ple- you have to go put shoes on or you can't bring bread in the gluten line, whatever it is, and not having yeah. the college back them up when the student complains or even accuses them, well, that that was racist, you know? And so the staff were very like, you know, so she, the student came in and the dining staff worker said, oh, I didn't know you were in this camp, you know, kind of something like that. And student worker, the student worker was like, yeah, I'm, I can be here or something. And the dining staff was like, okay, fine. And allowed her to stay and she apparently took some food and went into the living room which was closed i mean only the dining room is open and now the dining by now the dining room's closed and she was still lying on the couch and a custodian walked by and looked through these double glass windows the student was mostly blocked by a huge teddy bear and i know all this because they have this (laughs) this uh they did this investigation. This is the investigation, Benjamin. Okay, I please for the record, I am now showing Benjamin. <laughs> it's at least an inch thick. Yeah, two hundred pages or something. One hundred and seventy pages, single spaced uh, report, along with all these exhibits. They, they, I mean, they took photographs from every single angle. They have floor plans. They interviewed everybody within a two hundred miles. <laughs> uh, do you know how much they paid for this report? I think a lot. It was it's yeah. a law office. So I think yeah, this was a very a thorough investigation. Yeah. So the custodian called campus police because the custodian didn't know who I think he, he didn't he didn't even know the gender. Um there's some question as to whether or not he knew the race in the report. Um so it, but all he really could see were her legs, apparently. That's what I got from the reading the report, which is public. So campus police came and campus police recognized the student apparently and was like, and, and didn't ask her to leave, you know? So it was like all kind of, there's, there's, it was audio video of the interaction. It was pretty friendly. It was like, oh, hey, you know, the campus police officers are not armed. Well, the student later went onto Facebook and made a post like this, this much of a post. I'm for the record about six inches or less. And the college sprung into action. I mean, this wasn't a formal complaint or anything. They just sprung into action, apologizing profusely. What was the content of the post? She said the, that she oh, was... I'm sorry. The post was, I, I, I can't even... Uh, this is a long incident in a pattern of systemic racism. I have stu- suffered at Smith. I can't yeah. even just be black and relax yeah. in a house yeah. and eat my yeah. lunch without having the police called on me. And she mentioned like that the police were armed or something. There was something about the police being, which wasn't true. So in the report, later in the report, the report says that she was not able to give another example 
of the systemic racism she had suffered. But nonetheless, that that's what she was alleging in her Facebook post. The college sprung into action in response to the Facebook post. Um, they apologized. Um, they immediately started talking about implementing all these measures and the whole response thing. I mean, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. was before they even conducted the investigation. Well, they conducted the investigation. Lo and behold, they found after very, th- they really <laughs> tried, they found no incidents of, um, no evidence of racial bias. And if you read the reports, pretty clear. And yet they persisted. They very quietly announced the findings and they offered, um, they said, some of you might be upset or something. They they said something about, and they provided like a space for healing or a space to come together to reflect on the findings. And it it was, (laughs) in in the midst of all this, the dining staff worker who had originally allowed the student to stay, she didn't see the student again that day. Um, But the student later put her picture and her contact info on her Facebook page along with another custodian who wasn't even there that day and said, these are the people who called the police on me. And that staff member, the the guy ended up leaving Smith, but the other person is still working there. And she continues to get harassed. She said every time, you know, for weeks and months after that, at her home, notes in her mailbox, in her car, phone calls. And then this summer when George Floyd was murdered, once again, another note like racist, go home, Black Lives Matter. Hmm. So she's she's been terrorized. And so that's the incident. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. And the, so now we have a backdrop of very increased, very hyper-racialized, like, a lot of talking about race and a lot of walking and then staff seeing this happen to another staff member and seeing the college not really the co- they made a statement like neither of the individuals who were in the Facebook post placed the phone call but the student wasn't alleged she said well they these people were involved they didn't really um, cover for the employees yeah. exactly and they never held the student accountable for what was essentially cyberbullying that's a that's a violation of the student handbook cyberbullying so, um, and I, you know, that other employees see this and the, the eggshell walking just like increased by a thousand percent. And then other things happened. Like the police chief was, was let go when the students found his Twitter feed. He, he retweeted, build the wall. Uh, he retweeted a, something from president Trump and, mm-hmm. uh, something about the NRA wishes you a Merry Christmas. I mean, he's a cop <laughs> and they found his Twitter feed and that was it. He's a racist mm-hmm. and. Um, of course, the college denies that his Twitter feed had anything to do with it. Um, I, and, and my theory is that that these institutions, like if they only respond, like they knew about his Twitter feed, they must have, I mean, they must have known, right? Like if you research people, you see their social media past. I, my theory is that institutions and companies only take action if Enough, if a mob comes at them online like it, hmm. this guy's twitter feed he could just be push retweeting donald trump and and all this stuff and if nobody makes a fuss about it nobody cares right it's not like the college is like oh my god did you see his twitter feed like um and again they deny it was his twitter feed but that's my theory is that it's only when something threatens to make the the news that an well, institution springs into action the thing about your incident, and it's very similar to the incident, the actual incident, the actual incident that sparked the Evergreen 
insurrection. I'm gonna what was the actual incident? I thought it was the uh, day of... No, where... no, no. The actual um, incident was that one student of color was threatened by another student of color because the first student of color made uh, a joke uh, at the expense of the other student of color. And uh, the first student of color... <laughs> Sorry, this is not clear at all. It, it's encapsulated in the first uh, episode of the Evergreen, uh, the complete Evergreen story. But basically, uh, one student mocked the other student, and then a third student got offended on behalf of the second student, threatened the first student, and then the first student who had been threatened for making this joke by all the students, he was a pariah, went to the police services. The police services asked student two and three to give a voluntary statement. Student two and three delayed until it was really late. And then and then when they went over to give a statement, you know, tweeted out or Facebooked out to the entire campus that they were being detained against their will and forced uh, to give this statement and uh, not allowed to pee. And, and then the whole college erupted over this incident that didn't actually happen. It didn't actually happen. They were actually the aggressors. The aggressors played the victim. Mm-hmm. And because the conditions were set up to not uh, question you're not allowed to question the experience of certain categories if they say Mm -hmm. that they're oppressed then they are oppressed and your job is Mm -hmm. to obey them the students the the student body at least the the younger part of the student body had been conditioned to only ever accept that one group is always oppressed and if they say it and you don't see Mm -hmm. it you have to believe them because their Mm -hmm. experience is true their experience is truth uh, so it doesn't matter if and and furthermore, when the actual protests were happening, they were issuing press releases that were not true at all about the, their interactions with the cops and and their interactions with the administration. They were constantly putting themselves in the position of a victim and then shooting it out online mm-hmm. while filming while filming themselves doing doing completely other things. But because of the narrative, because of the narrative, and then when the college, the Evergreen State College, takes a year, they produce their report, they completely leave out the actual story, and they talk about Charlottesville, they talk about all these events outside of the college to justify what happened, you know, before the fact or after the fact. So that's what, so then the day where they asked all white people to stay home... They, they didn't even happened. do that. They invited white students to leave, but there were professors who uh, basically said that you would you would lose credit if you didn't, you know, absent yourself from the mm-hmm. cam- campus. But it wasn't the college didn't itself uh, force white students. They invited white students to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the, yeah. Even that's murky. The whole thing's murky. But if you look at it, the response to reality is so out of proportion. This is the problem. Once you start detaching yourself from reality and truth, then the responses, there's nothing to anchor them. Uh, There's nothing to anchor them with regards to the emotionality of the overreaction of the young people. Let's say 2020's protests. There's nothing to anchor that to reality. There's no proportionality there. And then when the bureaucrats come in and they start fiddling around with truth and mandatory, uh, you know, uh, and making statements, making statements, statements, and then start to taxing people based on their identity. Like, where's the limiting principle? Because we're no longer talking about truth. Well, there is a truth, but it's like a subjective 
that this it's is what moral. I mean by the chaos. Yeah. Well, it's the truth of the. It's like it's the microaggression thing. Well, I I like with this student, like an inch of <laughs> documentation that says otherwise yeah. doesn't matter. Like it still happened. Like you said, we 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 need to believe that it happened because she says it happened, and she's a member of a certain group. And um, mm-hmm. so that's like that. We could say that's her truth, right? She that's the truth she believes. Mm-hmm. But we have a way of determining the truth, like reason, evidence, logic, right? And yeah, where those yeah. things have been abandoned, or those things are now no longer considered uh, valid. They're suspect, yeah. right? It's it's more about yeah, who the speaker, the I, status we assign to the speaker based on their immutable characteristics or whatever. And I just I want to quote Biden or, or whoever uh, composes his <laughs> tweets which is not him. Uh, He said that the fact, oh, I'm sorry here. Yeah. To quote him from yesterday, the fact, okay, the fact is systemic racism touches every facet of American life. And everyone, no matter your race or ethnicity, benefits when we build a more equitable America. So he's using the word fact, but it's not a fact. Because he hasn't defined systemic racism that touches every aspect of everyone who's in America. So you would basically have to define systemic racism or find systemic racism after a fact in every facet of America. How is that a fact that's unmoored from anything factual? Factual uh, Factuality is something that's discrete and measurable. But if you're saying it touches everything and everyone, like, no, 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 no. This is a cover for something else, like, just in the language. What do you think it's a cover for? One, either virtue signaling until it meets the law, or two, redistribution of wealth along uh, explicitly. uh, Well, and and it's not even just wealth redistribution. You don't, you're not just taxed. Uh, on your pocketbook, you're taxed morally. That's what mm-hmm. these anti-racist equity, equity, inclusion, diversity seminars do. They shift the moral authority, uh, or they assign you moral authority, or uh, you know, privilege or oppression, which is basically a positive or negative score that is in reversed based on your immutable characteristics. Uh, and and they'll 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 play to class a little bit so that mm-hmm. white people so that white people have some sort of uh, disadvantage they'll allow you to to pony up some some bit of eco- socioeconomic status but not much just to give you a bone so you're not only taxed they're not only redistributing uh, you know money which is one thing that they could actually do and we could you know argue about that but there's this whole moral imperative of you know you have to believe that this is the fact even if you don't see it systemic racism is there implicit bias is there that is the fact that is the truth it's scary stuff coming from the law of the land coming from the top down uh, yeah so talk talk more about that first thing you said about where it went until it meets the law because the law yeah. doesn't reflect that. <clears throat> so that's a, I mean, the question is, will the law be changed to reflect what is now almost conventional wisdom at this point? Hmm. Right. Yeah. Or at least among, I'm not even sure if everyone, I mean, I know some people actually believe this 
then there's a whole bunch of people who don't know what the heck it is going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I guess I believe it, but I can't see it. And then there's people who are like, this is BS, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, will the law, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, That's the question. Clearly, what? Yeah, that's the question. Well, it's 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 kind of a reverse Martin Bailey in a sense. Like I said, the equity executive order, and then what Susan Rice and Biden himself said is that this these programs, these equity programs, which they don't define equity, are for all individuals, including all these identities. So they will push this redistribution as far as possible until. It goes into the courts, and the courts decide, is this constitutional or not? Now, mm-hmm. like you bring up, and like I, I should state here, for decades now, critical race theory, it started – well, okay, critical race theory itself, which is a descendant of postmodernism, but critical race theory, a lot of work was done within law, within basically eroding the constitution, uh, the constitutional amendments with regards to individuality and equality has been eroded uh, by various means. So I don't know to what extent that has taken place right now with regards to our lawyers and our justices right now. I don't know to what extent they adopt it, but I do know that law schools have been training lawyers in critical race theory and in all these other uh, derivatives of that for years now. So eventually, eventually it will shift. Um, uh, who, whoever uh, interprets this stuff. But the question is now, to what extent will these equity programs meet with uh, you know, some sort of federal judge? Um, and mm-hmm. we don't know if uh, Biden will swap out these federal judges. We don't know if he'll pack the courts. He's giving or- overtures to do that, which is a pretty bad idea, because once the Republicans get in power, then they're just as screwed as they were right yeah, now. Yeah, it's really, yeah. But I think that they're, maybe they're hoping that that will never, they're, they can ensure that never happens again yeah, 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 <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> if well, they do yeah. enough fiddling maybe <laughs> yeah which is the whole other question to what degree are they going to marginalize uh half the country to what degree are they going to do that and to what degree uh will they do that and, and that you know that part of the country strikes back and then we already know that the narrative is if the right makes any maneuver whatsoever, they are vilified across the board as racist KKK, uh, Auschwitz uh, planning individuals, white nationalists. So the narrative's in place to to push them out of the public narrative if they overstep. But mm-hmm. the, the, but the left is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah, I see that. To bring that down to a micro level at Smith yes, again, please do. Um, my working conditions. Yeah, please do. Which is the best way to why I'm uh, speaking out <laughs> instead of singing out. But maybe you can make a musical of this. Jeez, oh, that would be brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. I started my Evergreen one. You should start your Smith. No one. way. Did you yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have oh, the I have the God, songs, you know. We oh, race God, war, a race war. We're going to watch the bodies of the privilege hit the floor in the race <gasps> war, a race war. Redivian identity and giving it a score, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got a, I got a trove of them. I just need to make the libretto. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, count me in. <laughs> um <laughs> 
Yeah, so at Smith, well, oh, marginalized. <clears throat> mm. It's interesting, this talk of, we, we constantly use the word marginalized, when what I see with the evidence of my own senses and my eyes at Smith, the reality is the community on campus that I see marginalized are those people. The, the Republican club just shuddered, finally. There's no Republican club at Smith College. Um I do not see anybody talking about support for a uh, conservative student. I mean, I only, I often imagine what it must be like to be a conservative student on campus. And I've talked to a student at Mount Holyoke about this. Um, I'm in touch with her and it's pretty, pretty tough. It's pretty tough. So it's it, even the, it's the tough to be a centrist, let alone a conservative. <laughs> yeah. It's Yeah. I still it's tough to be a skeptic, let alone somebody's political. Yeah. <laughs> a skeptic is a heretic. Yes. Yeah, I, I still position myself on the left because mostly because, like, I think it would be nice to have universal health care. Um, I don't know how that would happen, but and I don't know anything about much about us. I don't know how qualified I am to even say that, but I would like to have it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're talking about at Smith. Um, there's a, a hearsay. One of the staff members told me that in 2016, the president sent a letter or an email out to staff telling them not to talk about the results of the election at work. And there was a, like hmm. a, a gathering for people to process hmm. the results of the election. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, hmm, what if, I wonder how the Trump voters feel. And then recently yeah. we had a meeting with the president <clears throat> this past summer. And she said she started the meeting by saying, hey, everybody, thanks for coming. I never thought I would be presiding over the college during a pandemic. And, and I know that we all had hoped the election would turn out differently in 2016. <clears throat> I thought, really? How do you know that? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and then it, the response to my video, which was a public letter saying she does not speak for the college or any part of the college. Oh, okay. Yeah. So apparently I don't even exist, right? Because I'm part of the college. I'm still part yeah. of the college. I'm speaking at least for myself. Um, and I know at least some others that I've spoken to. So that's, that's, I mean, such the opposite of inclusion and um, yeah, yeah, it's exclusion. Yeah. But also yeah. the inclusion word is also funny to me too, because we have an elite liberal arts institution. You, you can't be an elite liberal arts institution without excluding. I mean, that's what yeah. it's based that that's what the, where the elite comes from. Right. And the, yeah. <laughs> somebody came up with a phrase a few years ago called inclusive excellence. Which just implodes yeah. itself. Because excellence is something that excels. <laughs> and it's you can't exclusive. include everybody. Yeah, it's not. It, it's exclusive. It's not inclusive. Sorry, it's not. I'm sorry. But either you sound good or you don't when we're talking about art. Either you think good or you don't when we're talking about a debate. Either think something's true or not when we're talking about science. Or, or math, for that matter. Yeah, do you think that's opened up a market for true things and beautiful things and excellent things. I, I, the people are kind of starving for yeah. 
Yeah, I think that that, that will be uh, just like the collapse of the Soviet Union was partially uh, financial, but it's also, I mean, if, if the extended Soviet Union, whereas we're talking about like Eastern Europe, like the, the craving for blue jeans and rock and mm-hmm. roll was something that was uh, sparking up the youth. And I think the uh, the youth after this generation, this cultural uh, cultural revolution generation that are swept up in this stuff, are the younger people are going to be so tired. It's going to, there's going to be like a belt bottom backlash to this stuff <laughs> i think so i think so too um it's just the stakes i don't know like it see we yeah. have a technocracy now i mean it just yeah if we can yeah, manage, where's the platforms yeah yeah so I, I heard about somebody building some inventing some ip alternative way to get around that stuff like there's there's yeah. there's innovate there's people in a way it, it push it forces us to be more creative yeah which yeah, is yeah. Pr- maybe a good thing i mean good good for art in the long run yeah um there's something i think you know what on 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 just on that note i think art was stilted to begin with probably uh, due to the way that the market was was using art i, I just made a comment <laughs> like a tongue in cheek comment last night about uh, gen x provi- presiding over uh, kind of the, the destruction of literature as, as we knew it like mm-hmm. like there was a very powerful american literature mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of gen x like it just kind of turned into this weird lameness and somebody uh pushed back Mary Harrington pushed back and said uh, that if you look in genre fiction, there's excellent authors going on in there. Just the the, the, the astute, you know, the official literature, the established, the, the establishment establishment. literature that, that yeah. that's crumbling and in the decadent yeah. phase, you know, the, I think the part, New Yorker stuff. Yeah, the what New Yorker, you know, branded yeah. the straight fiction itself became it's the a, MFA, the MFA, yes, the exactly, institutionalization of fiction through MFA pro. Yeah, it's yeah. it's MFA and poetry too. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I got I yeah, it that was it's very sad, but that's that's hopeful about the genre fiction. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, brilliance oh. will find a way. Curiosity yeah. and the thirst for awesomeness will always. You can't even if it has to go underground. Yeah, back. Yeah, and even the, the even the underground scene needed a revitalization. So wokeness in a way is an opportunity for a renaissance. It's like it's yeah. setting us up. For a slam yeah. dunk, you know, some awesome stuff. Yeah. As yeah, long I as, agree. like, the, the controllers uh, don't get too much uh, control over our means of uh, sharing. Yeah, our, our point A to point B, our commun- basic communications, right? Yeah. Yeah. Intermission. Fortunate Prince by Jody Shaw. Just like a fortunate prince Down on his luck and utterly gravity Sick mention Of ever mending his ways I don't believe in much anymore anyway But I'm here I'm trying Disfigured people 
mention something about counterweight um i assume you're recording this right you're not just oh. <laughs> i'm always recording <laughs> okay okay um so what was i gonna say about counterweight oh so the one thing this is important because the one thing i realized from you know i went from whispering in hallways with colleagues you know about Whispers this and hallways like, and <laughs> yes youtube uh, uh, confessions. Uh, we, we don't have that. I'm not a noob. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's going on. Da, da, da. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Like whispering in hallways, like, because you're not supposed to talk about this at meetings, you know, and then, or out loud, <clears throat> like yeah. you're, you know, be the skeptic to now making a video where, okay, the whole, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out of the closet, the whole world knows. And then just becoming, and you probably experienced this too. I mean, everybody says that Jonathan Kay, they, they say this happens, you come out and like, you're just a magnet, like just t- an influx of emails from people who are still trapped in the institution, still whispering, um, who want to whisper to you now and, and tell you their story. And I'm, I'm j- I was overwhelmed with not only, I was, I was o- not only overwhelmed by the support. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this, this is hardly anybody attacking me at all. It's mostly just like, thank you. And here's my story. Here's what's going on for me. And then this mad rush for me, it felt so urgent to try to connect people, like to connect the two doctors I talked to and connect these two writers, you know? And, mm, mm, mm. and I think that's a common experience for people who quote come out or are canceled or whatever. And so I think what counterweight, one thing I love about counterweight is that, they are providing a forum, a hub to connect with others, to be able to not be whispering. You can talk freely about this with others at counterweight within your profession. She has channels broken down by profession. And I think that that is such so valuable because I think people are, there's so many, there's a spectrum Mm -hmm. of process where you have to like deprogram where you're still wondering. I mean, there was a time when I was wondering, am I racist for having these thoughts? Like where you're, you're still like kind of unclear, like what's going on here and you're grappling with it and it takes a while. I mean, some people maybe just snap out of it, but I'm, I still have like little walls inside me and I'm like trying to examine like, is that me or did that come from this whole ideology? I think that's good. I think I think uh, mm-hmm. people should slow down and really examine everything. I mean, just yes. for, for no other reason, just to be better acquainted with who you are and what you think. Yeah, that's that's always a good, a good, the examined life is always, yeah. yes, I recommend that too. So, but, but counter, counterweight provides this forum for people. And I think that before people, People need to figure out what's going on, and you can't do that unless you have other people mirroring your experience and validating, like, no, you're not. This It's reality checks, basically, like a reality check, like what's real. Like we've become so unmoored, we don't even know what's real anymore. Yeah. And like, I'm not seeing this thing that they're talking about there. Do you see it? Like, no, I don't see it either. And then, then you have start. You have established, okay, we have an ob- objective reality here <clears throat> that we've established together. Now we can proceed with discussing. And then from there, people can build their moral courage to take whatever action they feel is necessary or is going to help them mm. the most. For some mm-hmm. people that might be coming, mm. I'm out. Yes. That's yeah. you know, maybe just having a discussion or writing a letter or. Yeah. And that's really important to, to highlight. You don't have to smash the bank. You don't have to put yourself on a target list. You don't have to be the one who is the lightning rod for institutional mm-hmm. change. You don't have to. It's not zero to 60 mm-hmm. uh, with regards mm-hmm. to standing up. And and there is a need for people to be in mild positions of questioning. Uh, that's really important. That erodes yes. things very much, just as much as the the thing that launches you onto Tucker Carlson. And, and I'm referencing not only your uh, events, but also Brett Weinstein's. With, everybody. Well, and, and Andy, no, yeah, everybody, yeah, Tucker. everybody ends up on Tucker, you know. So <laughs> you don't have to go full Tucker. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> to, to stand up to this stuff. No, or, and you're right. To we be need, true to yourself. We need every level in between because going full Tucker is one way for a lot of people to just write you off. <laughs> that happens yeah, exactly. To me. exactly. No, Jody, I was totally with you until you went on Tucker. And now yes. the, he's a white supremacist. So so yeah. that like sometimes being the like person who comes out is actually turns people away. So it is important to have those like other people who are at different yeah. And, and there, there are other things to do. So not only things to be or, or stances to take and uh, how radical you want to be or how, how outspoken you want to be, but there are different techniques and, uh, you know, styles of speaking and mm. questions to ask on all these different levels. And so counterweight is an opportunity to to, like you said, empower, to gain tools, to gain resources, to gain knowledge, to attack to your own, uh, what's it called, to, to your own level of, uh, you know, buy-in or or buy-out or sell-in mm-hmm. or sell-out uh, to this, uh, you know, this yes. weakness that is yes. encroaching. that's liberalism and, and yeah. they allowing for discussion wherever you're at and it's nonpartisan because this is not yeah. a partisan thing. Yes, yes. Um, and it's not. It's not. And, and the one thing, just to make a sub note, like I, like I've been showing with the feminist community, a lot of leftist feminists are now being left by the left, uh, and they don't know where to go. Uh, you know, they go to the center, they go to the right. If they go to the right, then they're smeared as right enablers. If they go to the center, they're sellouts. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is a need for leftists and for liberals to uh, stand up and to to examine how this so-called wokeness is either uh, being used as a radicalization technique or as a cover for some sort of oligarchical, you know, neoliberal uh, thing. You know, uh, I don't need to go into all that, but there are different, uh, there is, there, it should be apolitical because this is affecting people on the left and the right and the center. Yes. And I, yeah. And I think that's a problem that we, can't this is biden's unity this is his chance for unity it's on this issue <laughs> like we there's probably 80 percent of us mm. here who can but the left i don't know like it's like there's such a problem like such a fear of being associated with the right it's it's like and well who are you afraid of you're afraid of other left people on the left who are going to like write you off as and, mm. and just claim you're a nazi um so another thing good thing for people to examine who is it they're really afraid of here mm. and you might want to think about that like why are you you're afraid of people the where you position yourself you're afraid of your quote unquote people <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. So that's what I, I like about counterweight too, is it's not partisan and they have um like different levels of support and they have like templates for letters you can write um, to okay. your organization, just different techniques. And they, they so it's, kind of, it's kind of a, a training school of some sort. Yeah, kind of. And some education, language, helping you with the language, helping yeah. you understand what it is and what you, what words you might use. They've, te- you can, customize the templates you can do a lot on your there's a lot of you can do on your own they have walk through stuff videos and um and the for, discussion forum where apparently a lot of people are figuring helping each other it's like peer support to figure out very practical solutions without ever having to go up um to like getting more individualized support which they also offer okay they offer like yeah. they do like uh, 
like a case management system or they'll help people like who are just like on the precipice of getting fired maybe or they are really it's a really urgent situation because this mm. another thing i've learned since i came out is hearing people's stories is just how this material this has material consequences for people this isn't just like oh you're thinking the wrong way and we don't like you anymore it's like people losing their jobs sometimes twice losing two jobs and then not only just losing your job but becoming essentially unhirable in that field ever again because if it's on the internet somewhere nobody wants to go mm -hmm. near you so it's you know affecting people's children this is real serious stuff mm -hmm. and counterweight is very very needed so i'm really excited and um i'm excited to watch counterweight grow and i think it's just such a great team there and a great resource mm -hmm. for people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so since we're plugging it what's the best way to get involved in this Oh, so they have a, an amazing website. It's um, counterweightsupport.com. Yes. And um, the plug line is weighing in for liberalism. And you can just go on and, and watch a video about Welcome to Counterweight. And just, you know, they have a toolbox. They have how you can get help. They, they're going to have um, personal experiences and, and essays by people up there. Yeah. Some interviews. Uh some possibly hosted possibly. by Benjamin Boyce. Possibly by Benjamin Boyce. Yeah. So is that what's going to happen? You're going to post these interviews on the website? Yeah. We're. Um, I. I. Yeah. That's. Uh, that's kind of. Uh, I. I offered to do that. Um, that's kind of one of my skills. Uh, apparently. Yeah. You're really good at it. I don't know how that happened, but here you I came, am. You came highly recommended by Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're really, you're really like articulate. Like I've learned a lot in this conference. Like it's oh. helped, helped me think through Thank you. Yeah. some things. It's always good to talk. That's why talking is good. Yeah. Well, yeah. you, you yourself uh, have been quite stunning and brave in your, uh, just plopping into this conversation. Did you expect, uh, <laughs> anyway, so, to, <laughs> you were to, to kind of summarize and, and please correct me, uh, if I'm, uh, if I make a misstep here, you had been kind of pushing against this stuff within this organization for months, for mm -hmm. months. And for, I guess a, a few years, even like questioning what is going mm -hmm. on. Could you explain da, 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 da. things escalated, escalated, escalated. Mm -hmm. And then you made a year. YouTube. Is that what happened? That is what happened. I started. What were the conditions of you of leading up to the YouTube ing oh of my your God. life? Well, we went to hyper hyperdrive. Remember, because of George yeah. Floyd's murder and BLM, and then the pandemic, and then now we're going to prioritize this other stuff. Even though half of you are going to be, or many of you are going to be furloughed because we have no yeah. money. Um, <clears throat> really, it it came down to. I had an investigation pending where I had, you know, all of this hostile stuff. And then when then we went to hyperdrive, I was suddenly getting all these emails, like join this group for white people. And from my director, like just to the whites, like let's all the white staff join together and help the staff of color. Like just more of, of what I had already filed to come. And I, I sent emails. I was like, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I don't want to get these emails. I, this is, um, what is it? It's a, it's conduct that is unwelcome. I believe that's in this, like the law, like mm. that's racially hostile, I believe. 
And there was no, nobody sought to remedy it. it. You know, it just kept going. It's like a snowball. And then really what it boiled down to, and I'd been thinking the whole time, you know, I might have to make a video. I might have to make a video. So all the time was in the back of my mind. I was like, please don't let it come to please, please don't let it come to this. I, I made a hundred page complaint. Like I was really detailed. I was like, maybe if I'm really detailed, like that we can, we can ch- move this and move the needle and no. Nope. You have that red button. I don't don't make me press this red button. I got it right here. I really didn't want to press that button. And then <clears throat> really it came down to um uh it was announced that we had to have some discussions about this document toward racial justice at Smith and I was like I do not want to go to those discussions. I I don't want to go. Like I don't know what it means. I I'm I'm by now I've been told if I abstain or if I'm uncomfortable with talking about race then I'm I'm doing a power play and it's somehow aggressive. Oh, so, like I didn't even. So not only is it mandatory, yeah. it's manipulatively mandatory. Yeah, these just yeah I was literally told wow. at a discussion yeah that because I abstained I said I'm not comfortable and then I so they, freaking culty man. Yeah, so disgustingly, it feels, like, it feels like a cult. So at that point, I didn't even feel like I. I felt like, well, geez, even if I call in sick, because people know I've been kind of questioning this, they're going to think I'm trying to uphold white supremacy. And I mean, this is like the training, right? And so I, I didn't want to go to those meetings. So I was like, I, I had a lawyer by that time. I was talking to him. I was like, should I go? And like, should I say? The plan was I was going to say speak out, but I was so nervous. I was getting. I was had like hives. I was like, huh. it's really intimidating when you feel like this whole institution is against you and you haven't been, nobody's helping you, nobody's giving you answers. So that's when I pressed that. I said, I don't want to go to this meeting next week. I'm going to press the button. And lo and behold, they did not discuss that topic at the meeting two days later after I made <laughs> what, what What topic did they so not discuss? The, the, toward, the document toward racial justice at Smith. <clears throat> okay. I made the video. And then the meeting came two days later and she said, you know, we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about something else. So I achieved my objective of not having to discuss race in the (laughs) workplace anymore. And I don't know, maybe it was a coincidence, but Hmm. I kind of think they were like, maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Hmm. So uh, (laughs) one tactic to not discuss race is to go nuclear and just devote your life to discussing discussing race. (laughs) <laughs> see that's why you're the interviewer that's yeah, good I like, I like to go meta yeah so um yeah it, that's, it's kind of like what happened right over the summer i was like okay you guys want to talk about race yeah, that's exactly. what we're gonna do i'm gonna have a meeting exactly. let's talk about it what do you mean by this let's talk about it let's talk about anti-blackness anti-racism what does it mean yeah yeah <laughs> and then yeah. it's like whoa whoa take the bull by actually, the horns yeah when you actually want to try to have a real discussion about it then it's like yeah. well yeah a non-performative let's read through this script script yeah. line by line and make let's notes the script. let's go yes. for full shakespeare on this or really, you know, shakespeare <laughs> studies i mean uh hopefully you don't get your uh lady macbeth moment here maybe you could wait what happened to lady macbeth didn't she die isn't there, there's something about blood on her hands <laughs> She kills. Yeah, they all die. Everybody, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was going to be a swan dive. I thought pressing that red button would. Okay, well, this will be my swan dive. But I'm, I'm still there. I'm still employed. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm under investigation, so I'm not. Oh, okay. Actively working, yeah. but but you're investigating them too. So it's like <laughs> counter investigations going mm-hmm. on. Gum yeah. up in court. Gum up in court. Is that is that kind of the state 
you know, you kind of have your chips, they have their chips, and you guys are kind of co-lawyering? It, it kind of appears to be a standoff hmm. in a way. Um, hmm. I'm not clear on what's happening do you, uh, on their end. Did you sacrifice your uh, <laughs> mental... Okay, so you were... You uh, explained just now that you were under emotional duress uh, leading up to going public. Uh, I'm yeah. sure... Did, was was it a good trade-off to uh, mm. exchange internal turmoil for external pressure? Because once you go public, <laughs> now you have to deal with the external pressure. But do you feel better? Is is that oh, a wise God. decision for you? Yeah, I do feel better because that was part of the suffering, right? Is going along with something that you know is wrong. You just know. You see with your own eyes this is not happening. It it that kind of that kind of shit drives me bananas. It always has. It I've never been good with the bullshit. Like I've been okay like when I recognize it's bullshit, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go along with this, get my paycheck and go home. But now the bullshit is like, no, you must have the bullshit in your head and you must speak the bullshit, you know? Compulsive like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> compelled bullshit. Yes. I'm not going to do it. I, I can't yeah. do it. It's, <laughs> it was driving me crazy. And I, I the yeah. level of brainwashing is sitting in a room to hear people say things that you know are not true. And you look around and everyone's nodding. Yeah. It's crazy making. It, it, yeah. It's crazy making. Even when you know, you, and you have other people and supports telling you, yeah, you're right, Jody. It's, it's, it's okay. It's still crazy making. You go in that situation every day. So yes, it is a relief. Um and you're right, there is a lot of other pressure. I mean, I'm still employed. Uh I'm still trying to help other staff. That's mm -hmm. also very important. Um that have suffered in this situation and are still suffering from it and I am communicating with them and uh there is one staff member who is looking to make a move. And so I'm su supporting her um, in whatever way she needs to do to make her life yeah. tolerable and make her situation better. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, that's very important to me. And I think when I made the video, I was more hopeful that something would happen than, than I am now. I, I don't think the college, I mean, there were... I no. I was I when I made the video I was I was hopeful okay now certainly something will ha certainly something will change now when they have the spotlight on them. Yeah. And it it hasn't. I uh, down. Yeah, I um same thing with uh, Evergreen. Uh, me and, and other people there thought okay well surely now and then they were at, no, surely now, like, no, okay, surely now that they're down by 50% capacity. No, yeah. no, no, yeah, it's so like, there's then, no, huh? they can't, they, they cannot. Uh, so this, this stuff. Why can't okay, they? Yeah, no, well, okay, there's a lot of reasons, but from, from one perspective, it's like, okay, there's bullshit in the room. You smell it. Some people can't tolerate that. They'll leave. Some people can't tolerate that. This stuff is, it's not just, it, it doesn't want you to just smell it. It wants you to eat it. It puts your face in it. Okay. Some people are like, I can't eat this. And and some people like, you know, they, they leave or they speak out or they, or they go along. But this stuff isn't even content that you eat it. You have to spew it. 
Mm. And some people, and, and like it will completely, it, it it's it's like a ratchet. Like I was talking with James and and Wokel uh, the other day. Like it only goes in one way, and it keeps on twisting, keeps on twisting. Mm-hmm. And the the administrative uh, level, the faculty level, and the student level. It will. It will not stop. It will not. It will not admit any mistakes. It will not admit to any revision. It can't. Morally, it can't. There's something in this code which makes it beyond illiberal. It's suicidal. It will destroy any institution that allows it to ratchet up from smell to taste to spew. It, it, the the end game of this is complete destruction of the not just of the institution but of the product of the institution. How much suffering is happening with regards to the quality of the education in the institutions, the quality of the product across whatever the institution's doing. It degrades the teamwork, it degrades the ability to create knowledge, to create excellence, uh, to provide a good product to the end user because you're going through all these equity hoops up there. Oh, God, I agree. I, I've often heard pe- some people say, you know, well, I, I know another faculty member at different institutions, like, he's given up and he's like, I think they just need to collapse. And I'm just going to wait for that to happen. They just need to collapse. And and I think you're right. They will collapse. Be, be, and, and it's just, it's a lie. Like, it would almost be different if they were just like, you know what? We're not a liberal arts institution. We are this other thing. We're going to be doing this other thing. Be, it would, all, it would be more honest, but they're lying about it. They're trying to still pretend that it's this liberal, progressive, quote unquote, <laughs> You know, it's it's just such yeah. false advertising, and yeah. the amount that students are paying for that is yes, wow. Yeah. So that's really interesting about Evergreen because I know that their enrollment plummeted, and I thought, and then didn't it's isn't it publicly known that there was a settlement? They didn't Brett and Heather settle or. Brett and Heather settled, the police chief settled, and Naima Lowe, uh, who's the opposite of Brett in that whole story, uh, she was uh, given a handy sum and uh, shooed out the door. And the, the the cost to the administration, their coffers, their you know their reserve mm-hmm. funds have been completely depleted. They wasted so much on uh, uh, managing the disaster on a PR level, but not touching at all the core level. They even came out, there's circumstantial evidence. They hired a search engine optimization marketing team, uh, mm-hmm. which somebody helps you with your web presence. And two weeks later after they hired them, 40% of my videos were demonetized and I was delisted from Evergreen with regards to Evergreen State College. They are from Google. Yeah. Google dropped me from from being related to uh, Evergreen State College on the website. So they they've spent tons of money to avoid... Uh, any sort of transparency, any sort of actual accounting, which questions if if the evergreen education is teaching you to critically think and then examine your behavior for a learning opportunity, which is what you do there. If the college itself can't do that, then their their whole their whole what they are promising they can't perform. So why would you even go to them to learn what they can't do for themselves? So yeah, I mean, I guess there's a 
potential and then actively suppress any sort of yeah yeah well yeah and the president himself he's written articles in newspapers you know opinion articles that are verbatim from the marketing team he just puts his name on it but it's all from this marketing team so he's a plagiarist himself which is an academic no-no that's a huge academic no-no and the president of the college is a plagiarist himself he hires teams to talk for him i mean you know that's Par for the course for presidencies. Yeah. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I'm not impressed with Biden. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really sad because I went to Smith. You went to Evergreen. <clears throat> I, oh, you, so you're yeah, an alum. I'm an alum, but I went to Smith during a different time. You went to Evergreen during these times. I I went yeah. I went to Smith. I graduated in '93, and I feel like I got an amazing education. I was a cultural anthropology major, which, oh, you know, allows one to Wait, try to see the. the you graduated the, in '93, or I graduated you? in '93? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Wait, didn't you graduate from Evergreen in 2017? Were you there? No, I graduated from high school in '94, though. So we just like we're, we're generationally. Oh, so we're Gen X. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, like, generationally adjacent. Gen adjacent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah. It's sad for me then to see, I don't know how it feels for you, but to see the demise of what I see is, in in my opinion, the demise of Smith College. As a college. Um, As a college, yes. Um, As an alum, I see a demise. And as a worker, first and foremost, I see from the inside um, the institutional rot that uh, Alana Newhouse describes in her, uh, her essay, Everything is Broken. <clears throat> I don't know if you read that, but it's a really good effort. It's very hopeful. It's like we have to abandon these institutions. They've already abandoned us. And we have and to who's the it. author? It's Alana Newhouse. It's on tablet, you know, tablet magazine. Uh it's a very good essay, um, because it's very hopeful. It's about, you know, you know that Bob Dylan song, like, if you're not busy getting born born, you're busy dying. Like we have to let go of it's really yeah. the establishment we're talking about and the establishment is not going to be able to fix the establishment. It's, it's too late mm. or we're, these are corpses. They're like on their last. <sighs> Which is Bad. just, if, if, if this is what equity did to the Academy, what is it going to do to the federal government and to what extent will our constitutional or constitution stave off this? It's a huge problem because if this is killing Academy, it will kill the federal government. It will kill it uh, as a product. It, the, the, the academy is corrupted in the knowledge. The federal government will be corrupted in whatever the heck it does. Legislating. Yeah, so what are we going to do? How strong is our constitution? How strong is it? We'll how, strong are, how strong are the people? Uh, because it's basically for the people, by the people. And we have to come together as a multi-ethnic, multi-identity, multi-socioeconomic, mm-hmm. multi-ideological community. Find our roots as, as conversants. Oh, yeah. And as political individuals and build yep. coalitions and counterweight is a part of that move to, to yes. bring us back to that basics. Counterweight uh, is a part person. of that move. There's a lot of movement afoot, a lot of underground yes. happenings, as you know. Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. know. Um, I'm hearing up in Speak Canada easies. too, yeah. can, Canada and Australia and um, in, in universities, yeah. there's the little underground groups and uh, this is who are starting to get connected 
which is which is nice. And then you have little things like counterweight popping up, and there's another another organization, some more organizations along the way coming up. Yes, it reminds me of I was just watching in the in American history because I'm like. Now I've suddenly gotten really interested in American history. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> I always took it for granted, you know, and now I'm like, huh. Me too. And I mean, the the odds were so stacked against uh, the pa- patriots, the, the colonists, and just the way they established, um, they connected, you know, Ben Franklin, he's he, he the guy that established the postal system on the horse, like the way they were able to communicate with each other and alert each other of what was coming before the British, like to let, and they had like, you know, codes and it was all underground and just what would they were up against was just so massive, the most powerful military in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so inspiring. And then they, how creative they had to get, like at first they were following the rules of combat, you meet in the open field and like they were getting slaughtered. And then they started getting really creative. Yes. And, <clears throat> um, I was, hmm. Yeah, I've been talking to some other people about like there's just there's there's a lot of things we can do if we can just find each other. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah. Well, you put yourself on the map. You can say that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, somewhat. I'm going to I'm going to uh you know, in addition to working for Counterweight and helping Helen, I'm going to be working for another organization that's coming up and uh, also, I'm going to be trying to do some community building, like I talked about, allowing a hub. I just opened my, am I allowed to, I don't know if I'm plugging. Cause Plug it. It's a little icky. Um, <laughs> I just opened my locals. I've been talking a lot to Carlin, okay, Burks, yeah. who I really like. She's kind of a yes. hero of mine. I like her so much. Um, about And you're Jody uh, Shaw on locals then? Jody, Jody with an Shaw eye. locals, yeah. Okay. Um, and I just like created it. And it just feels nice to be able to have my videos somewhere where I feel like they're safe. They're not relying on YouTube, like a YouTube yes. embedded. Yes. Um, it feels like Dave Rubin, like I feel safe there. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to, build, to do some community building. I don't know if I'll be good at it. We'll, we'll see how that goes. And well, this I, is fun, yeah. Yeah, this is good. And by by the way, Benjamin, this I'm still a little nervous. Like I know you're going to be editing this, so I can tell you this. I'm still a little. I'm a oh. little nervous. Like my aim is still to improve working conditions at, at Smith College. So, um, what can I say? And the institution is rotting, but <laughs> but there's hope. But I believe that. Yeah, we we the, the abandoned uh, everything is broken, but there's hope. In the shards. We we can turn all those eggshells into broken glass, melt them down, and oh, make a new... Yes, I got it. <clears throat> so while I do feel that um, there is a lot of institutional rot going on, I, I do feel there's hope, and I think there's hope if, for example, at Smith College, enough people can come together within the institution, and I'm talking about the workers. We can come together, and we can say no. If enough yeah. of us do that, they can't continue to do what they're doing. They are only able to do it because we are going along with it. And mm-hmm. just like that's that's nationwide as well. But at Smith College, that's what will um, allow things to change. And that's what needs to happen. Down. And I am willing to be a hub for those people and to organize. And I'm, I'm also organizing, working with alums too, 
because there's mm-hmm. a lot of alums who have written to me who are very concerned about the working conditions at Smith College. And so I am organizing an alum, kind of an underground alum network as well to strategize oh. for how we might affect change at Smith College for Excellent. To, to improve the conditions there. Excellent. You really went all in. Oh, I'm all in. Yeah, this is my yeah. life. I have kids, you know. I, I got to think about, you know, we're watching American history together. I'm trying to give them mm-hmm. an education because, boy, I got a scary letter from their school after the Capitol, that, you know, about trauma and, mm-hmm. like, that I'm supposed, I should tell them it was racist and, yeah. Oh, and, so they, they're uh, managing the narrative on the uh, level of your school district. The me sons manage- of bitches. Yes, it's happening. It's happening. Oh my God, Ben, you've been following this K through 12 stuff, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's, I can't even believe it. I mean, I moved no. them into this school. It's better than the other school they were in, I think. But I'm just like, you want me to tell them what? Like, yeah, there was violence. Like, we've decided as a society, we don't want to solve our problems with violence. Like, ideally, we're not going to do that. And, um, but then they, they said in the letter, like, and, and I'm w- willing to talk to them about that. But as far as the motives, like that's not for you to tell me whether or not what the, the motives were. I mean, and and also to say that this was much different from the Black Lives Matter. They actually put that in there. This was much different from the peaceful Black Lives Matter protests. These were not protests. These were domestic. Mostly peaceful. They didn't even say mostly. Have you seen the footage? They said peaceful. They didn't even say mostly oh peaceful. God. They said peaceful. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like you're now you want my yeah. me to like the, the evidence of my own child's senses, what they can yes. see. You want me to tell them that that's not violence. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> this take, is, take the take this violence and escalate it to a hundred. This is this is basically the third Reich, this one day. Deny the entire summer, the entire last year. Like that was all justified. Were attacked. Right? 150 monuments, two billion dollars in insurance uh, damage. Death. Just ignore that. That was all peaceful. That was all. It, it's you know what we we go back and forth. We vacillate between hopeful and and uh, despairing. <laughs> it, it's it's to be taken seriously, but absolutely, I'm going to sound like the activist that I criticize. Our mental health is very important. It's important not to invest so much that you start to erode your ability to have joy, to find peace, and to to make a good meal and to sing a good song. Like that 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 humanity needs to be fostered preserved. and yeah. preserved. Yeah. Are you able to do that? Me? You sound like you are. You have a good sense of humor. I, I have a shower. I, uh, I, uh, you shower. I, that's great. I, I got shower. I got some that. really nice shampoo. It's so luxuriant. I just sang away. I just sang away. Oh, that's nice. That makes me feel happy to think about that. Oh, yeah. Well, don't think about that uh, explicitly. Um, <laughs> yeah, the shampoo part and the singing, just leave it at that. I don't know why I put that mental image into my... Uh, my audience, but I trust you guys to take that in a good direction. Um, Jody Shaw, I need to leave, go off to work. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you. I've been following your case and your hijinks for several months now, um, and I've always enjoyed your presence. And again, your music is phenomenal. I will link both of your channels in the description for people to check it out. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. More is in the pipes with with regards to your creativity. More is coming. Yes, now that I am free to sing whatever I want. Oh, okay. You're liberated. 
Yes, I'm somewhat liberated, yes. There we go. So you're going to edit this, right? Oh, God. Congratulations for making it to the end of the discussion. If you'd like to have more time with me and my guests, do check out my backlog. There's almost 200 conversations there. Also, if you'd like to support this channel, paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce is a good way to do it. Also, you can find me on Patreon. Do seek me out on odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E dot com. If you're tired of the YouTube censorship and if you're just listening to this podcast, you should know by now that I do have a YouTube channel at Benjamin A. Boyce. I will talk to you soon. Good night.